0: Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, this month my wife and I are celebrating our 12th wedding anniversary, so I was looking at some pictures uh, from our wedding from 12 years ago, and notice how good I look in that tuxedo from Leon Tailoring. Not just me, but all my groomsmen as well. And so if you got a big formal event or a wedding this fall, or maybe wedding next spring, think about our good friends over at Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy would be happy to see you. I'm happy to make you look as good today as I did 12 years ago. Well, It'll almost look as good as me as 12 years ago. I'm just kidding. So we go by Leon Taylor. And then be happy to see you. 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis.
1: Prosecutor Mears, a number of people also responded with questions for this forum tonight about the, um, again, quote, unquote, revolving door um, in the criminal justice system. Saying law enforcement is encountering a number of repeat offenders. Violent crime suspects. Many of these people are in some form of pretrial or post conviction status. Do you believe plea agreements for repeat violent offenders should include unpackful mandatory executed jail time?
0: There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. So let's, let, I guess, let's start with the, the, the first part as, as it relates to Bond. I, I see Abdul, he's on a smartphone, it, it looks like there. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure many of you in the audience have your smartphones. Google Marion County Bond Schedule. Go ahead, take your phones. Marion County Bond Schedule. There we go. Someone says they got it. If you look at the bond schedule, it will tell you very clearly, very precisely, what the bond is on offenses here in Marion County. Uh, This isn't some opaque process. It's right there on the Internet to tell you. And so if you are arrested on a misdemeanor, it will tell you what your bond is going to be. Uh, There are opportunities, especially on major felony cases for the prosecutor's office to ask for greater than standard bond, uh, which we have done on a number of cases. And there's actually been some pretty high profile cases where we asked for and moved for greater than standard bonds. And those motions were denied or they were granted and the person uh, still was able to pay bond. Uh, you know, when I'm in the community and we're having conversations about bond, uh, this simple thing that I hear from the community uh, pretty consistently is the people who are committing the low level stuff who are just poor, I don't want them in jail. The people who are violent, those are the people I want in jail. That's a really common sense approach to what we're dealing with here, but our rules and our procedure doesn't always get us to the result that we desire. Why is it that somebody who we think is dangerous, who has committed a serious felony, gets out on bond because they have $10,000. That doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, It's not how the federal system operates. Uh, And so there are things that could potentially be done to hopefully correct that uh, and change that. So the bond schedule more reflects what the community wants, which is these low level people, we don't want the low level, poor people in custody, the violent people though, why do they get the opportunity to post that $100,000 bond, which is $10,000 or $8,000 now, why are those opportunities made available to people? And that would be something that would have to be a legislative fix. We're hopeful the legislature will do something about that, uh, but that's a real challenge that, that we have here in, in the prosecutor's office. I think the I think the second part of that is you know when we talk about uh, the bond schedule in in particular, it's also you know, we ultimately don't make the decision. Can make arguments but at the end of the day uh, a judge has to make that determination and keep in mind that the people that are in court uh, they're represented by counsel too and they're also pointing out arguments and they're pointing out things that can be said that should be said uh, to indicate why this person should potentially be released uh, you know we don't have the ultimate authority in terms of number one who goes to jail that's up to the police and number two uh, it's the courts who ultimately determine what bond is, and they determine who is released or not. It's not the prosecutor's office. And so I think it's important to understand everybody's role as it relates to this process. Do you
2: want to comment on the process? Yes, sure. absolutely. I, I want to comment on, on both parts of uh, the, the question related to both bond and uh, plea deals. Um, first, what I would um, anticipate as... Uh, your prosecutor is that if there is a problem with the bond schedule, which is set by the American County court system, I would work with them. As the prosecutor, as the elected prosecutor, if I see that there's a problem that is with that bond schedule, then I will lead the charge in making the changes uh, that I see uh, that need to be fit and to be made. Now, with respect to to plea agreements, This is one of the many reasons why I'm running for prosecutor. I continually see over and over and over and over plea agreements for one individual where the prosecutor's office agrees to Uh, home detention or uh, time that's suspended, but it is always resulting in putting an individual that is I'm not talking about first time offenders, second time offenders, I'm talking about serious repeat violent offenders that allows them to be be in one shape or another back out on our streets. I have started doing something that I, I would actually invite you all to do. When you hear on the news, as you will, uh, that somebody has been charged uh, with committing a homicide, I would take that name and I would punch it into my case, mycasein.gov. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, allows you to view mm-hmm. criminal for yourself for anyone, civil, all things uh, related and kept by the courts. So I started doing that um, as I was seeing what was happening in our community. And I would put in an individual's name, and I would see that the individual had not one, the latest one that I can think of, not one, not two, not three, not four, but 15 different interactions with their criminal justice system uh, before they eventually were charged with the lives of other deaths. Now, to me, that tells me that it started off with some pretty small, kind of petty uh, things, and then it, you could see that the charges started to increase and the level of violence started to increase, but every time, to the tune of four, maybe five times, the prosecutor's office would then cut a plea deal that would some way, shape, or form send this individual home. Now, what I tell you is, what are we doing to help that individual if it's clear that that individual cannot be successful in home detention? Why are we continuing to cut plea deals with an individual that we know we're setting them up for failure? And that is within the purview of the prosecutor's office. Now, that's fine. Absolutely, we want to give people opportunities, but when you see that there are 15 Different instances where that individual could have been helped, could have been redirected towards a better path. And our criminal justice system did not do anything to do that. That's a failure on our part to that individual. And when we put people who continually uh, have the opportunity to commit crimes that continue to escalate, then that starts to affect the safety of our city. That starts to affect the safety of my family. And look, folks, this is I'm talking about the serious, violent repeat offenders here. I want to be clear. This is not Cindy saying someone who's, you know, broken a window to a car and stolen a purse. I'm talking about people that we should be afraid of, that are risks, safety risks for our streets. These are the questions that I don't have answers to as to why is this Continuing to happen. How is this helping our community, my brown community, our black and brown community, the minority communities that are uh, disproportionately affected? Why are we not using every resource to make sure that we're holding people accountable to try to help them put them on a better path? Instead, we're actually enabling them.
1: People have questions about this issue and want to know, Prosecutor Mears, you know, is this happening? Is the is the prosecutor's office or the county judges to blame? Like the process that you did touch on a little bit there um, that exists in
0: the system.
1: Um, how is this happening?
0: Well, I think part of it is as, as a prosecutor's office, you have to be willing to take on difficult cases. And when you take on a challenging case, you might not get the lead charge on a case, but you can't then shy away or be unwilling to take on difficult cases and be willing to stand up in front of a jury and say, hey, this is what we have. Uh, we never thought this case was going to get any better, and we thought it was important to move forward. Uh, and so you're not going to resolve every case to the lead charge. Uh, if a prosecutor's office wanted to get a 100% conviction rate, they could do it. They just wouldn't file difficult cases. They just wouldn't file uh, those difficult cases challenging cases that I think ultimately make or break a prosecutor's office. I'm a big believer in a lot of times we need to stand up for victims. And when you stand up for victims, sometimes you take uh, aggressive stances or aggressive posture in terms of what you ultimately uh, end up filing for something as it relates to to a particular case. Uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of cases that you could point out where we literally get decades of prison time for individuals uh, who have been convicted. Uh, That happens on a routine basis. Uh, You can go to the CJC on any day of the week and you will see people uh, getting on a bus going to the Department of Correction. Uh, So this idea that this is widespread is completely inaccurate because there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things in the prosecutor's office to ultimately hold people accountable. Uh, You know, when... And I think it's also important, you know, there's, there's a lot of conversation about who do we, who do we blame, who blame the judges, who we blame the prosecutors, who we blame the police department, all, all of these things. I will tell you this, I'm sitting here, uh, and you know, I am going to be on the ballot. Uh, the one group of people who are not on the ballot is our judges. And that, those judges are appointed by Eric Holcomb, the governor. How many people here live in Marion County? You don't have the right to vote for your judges. Uh, and so that should infuriate all of you uh, that you don't have the right to joke, vote for the Superior Court judges here in Marion County. That's uh, We've advocated for it. We want to change the law. We want to change the law. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. That, that law needs to be changed. It's funny. I see Barb Trayton here. Hamilton County gets to elect their judges. Marion County doesn't. Lake County doesn't get to elect their judges but Hamilton County does. So, those are the issues that I think are important when we talk about that issue of accountability in terms of I think we need to revisit but I think we need to look at how we pick our judges. So
1: much this is Roscoe. We when we're talking, um, and, and Prosecutor Muir's talked a little bit about um, the Second Chance workshops and the work that he's done through those programs to um, to find diversion for people. On um, the question, people want to know, again, you've mentioned it a couple times, meaningful accountability. How does that include handling communities in a compassionate manner?
2: That's, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that um, when I talk about accountability, I think the uh, reaction that I have from people is, yes, we need a prosecutor's office who is holding people accountable. Equally as important is to have excellent public defenders because our, our criminal justice system is only going to be successful if we have equally talented prosecutors who hold doing their role as equally talented uh, public defenders doing their role. That is how criminal justice system actually is successful. What we have right now is the pendulum has swung too far where we don't necessarily have that advocacy for victims victims of crime who didn't have a choice we're actually focusing on how can we uh, give passes to repeat violent offenders and that has thrown our system out of whack now i've talked about this i've said it many many times tonight and i'll repeat it because it is the starting premise for what I'm viewing, my lens through the prosecutor's office. I believe that every individual's interaction with the criminal justice system is an opportunity. It is a responsibility for us to be able to do something to put that person on a better path. Now, as it relates to uh, instances of people who are experiencing homelessness, That absolutely applies, but folks, I'm here to tell you, we can walk and shoot them at the same time. We can hold people accountable and use the resources, use the taxpayer dollars that you're paying the Marion County Prosecutor's Office in the best way to be able to hold an individual who may be experiencing uh, uh, homelessness and interacts with the criminal justice system to figure out what is it that that individual needs. Do they need connection with behavioral services? Do they need uh, drug treatment? What is the best way that we're going to actually uh, help these individuals? Now, having said that, I also wanna tell you about the other end. Uh, I had occasion to meet a gentleman that, uh, as you might imagine, I've been traveling the county uh, everywhere, every day, and I go anywhere anyone invites me. I had occasion to attend a meeting uh, one day uh, back in in March or April, and I met this gentleman. He was 28 years old. Uh, The day I met him was a Tuesday, and I remember it distinctly. Uh, because he shared with me that he had just been released from the Department of Corrections the Thursday before. And when I met him, he was looking down. He was very shy, very soft-spoken, and we had a very great conversation. Uh, He shared with me that he had been in the Department of Corrections for 10 years, Um, He shared with me the story of what sent him to the Department of Corrections back when he was 18. And he talked to me about the fact that uh, now that he was out, he was nervous. Um, He was worried about not falling into the path that he was on before. He said, Cindy, this is the first time where I don't have somebody telling me what I should wear, when I should wake up or what I should eat. And all of this understandably so, is overwhelming. Um, But one thing he did do is he lifted up his head and he looked me straight in the eye and he told me, but I will tell you one thing, I hated going to the Department of Corrections when I was 18, but, but for me going there, I would not be alive today to talk to you. So it's those individuals, it's that gentleman That absolutely, we have to use our second chance laws. That are laws on the book and that will remain regardless of whoever is prosecutor. For people like that gentleman who have done their time, who have been held accountable, but we've used that opportunity to hopefully put that individual on a better path. Absolutely, I will be using those second chance laws to help him acclimate. To what is our normal? Absolutely. We need to wrap that individual with services that are going to hold their hand as they continue to be put on a better path. That's what we all want. That's what he wants. Now, In my experience uh, in government, I've worked with second chance programs. I was part of bringing uh, the last mile program to the Department of Corrections from California. I believe in these programs. That's what I'm talking about, accountability. We're never gonna be able to connect these folks with these types of programs if we continue to spin the revolving door of the criminal justice system.
1: Ryan, I'll have you
0: weigh in. You know, what, in your view, has been the impact of the Second Chance programs here in Marion County? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, one of the biggest challenges we face is people coming back into our community who have been involved with the criminal justice system. Uh, Oftentimes, they have no place to live. They have no formal job training, and the odds are stacked against them. And and so we have to take affirmative steps to try to help people out to get them back on their feet. that's not necessarily a traditional role of the prosecutor's office, but my biggest thing is I don't want to see those folks come back to our criminal justice system. And the best way that I can do that is I can lend a helping hand. So when we have people coming out of the Department of Correction, what can I do to help get that person a driver's license? Having an ID is critically important for that person to be able to get to and from places. That also is uh, an opportunity for them to be able to get access to drugs, prescription medications. Uh, get into the types of services that they need, but oftentimes they don't have a way to prove who they actually are or what their identity is. Uh, And so we work really hard to help individuals get there. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we talk about these partnerships with with people who are uh, homeless. We do it at the Horizon House, which offers uh, opportunities to homeless people all around our community. And we bring those services and those resources directly to Horizon House because we know they're going to have the biggest impact on people in our community. Uh, We also work really hard on the expungement front. Uh, Indiana has a great expungement law. The problem with the expungement law is access to justice. Uh, It is a complicated petition to fill out. It's not intuitive. If you are a pro se person, it is really difficult for you to do. Uh, And so we work really hard with a number of people in our community, uh, whether it's the law school, Uh, People who are uh, civil attorneys, the public defender agency, as well as attorneys who are in private practice all around our city to provide that legal representation to people because we know when we're getting someone that expungement, we're giving them an opportunity. We're giving them a chance to get a job. Uh, The other thing that I will tell you that has become uh, more challenging here lately is uh, previously uh, it was difficult to get jobs for people. Given the current state of the economy, I can get jobs for people all day long. It is next to impossible to get people into housing and if you have a felony forget about it and so one of the things that we've stepped up to really try to help out with our employment process is to get people into housing because so many people will not rent to people who are felons uh, and, and, and i think it's important to note that when we talk about these programs these programs are community programs we can't do it alone we have to do it with the community, not only from the volunteers, but the people in the community who best know the people who need to get help and are ready to get help. And so we need those community partnerships. We need those relationships with people in the community who can help drive people to these events, to these resources, to take advantage of them. Because, again, there's a pretty good level of mistrust among some people in our community of anybody in government because their entire life government has failed it. And so that's one of the things that we can do to to, to be proactive, to provide opportunities to people who are coming out uh, of the criminal justice system. Uh, Just a a quick story on the housing situation. We were able to give an expungement to somebody uh, who was making over six figures. He had just bought a new house and he had to move out uh, because the house wasn't finished. He sold his house. He had to rent an an apartment. This is a guy who was making over six figures, had been employed for the last 25 years, but he had a felony in his background and no one would rent to him. And he told me, he said, I was okay with doing the time. I just didn't know it was going to be a life sentence. And those are the things that we can do to try to help people and really have a a positive impact in our community. The other thing that that does is it goes back to that level of trust because people in the community can say, hey, the prosecutor's office helped me out with this, which helps build that level of trust, which hopefully gets people to be more cooperative with us down the line, should they be involved uh, as a victim or a witness on a crime. If the only time you try to talk to people and the only time you try to help people is when something bad happens, you're not going to have a very good relationship. And that's why it's so important that we work with our community. We are nearing time, but Ryan, I'd like to ask you
1: as well.
0: This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.